You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Welcome, everybody. Today, our scripture reading will be from Luke chapter 15. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's the reading of God's word. All his people today said amen. Yeah, welcome back, everybody, especially if you were here last week for the first time. We're in week two of something that we started last week on Easter, new series called Lost and Found. For the next few weeks, we'll be looking at all the ways we get lost and all the ways that Jesus finds us. So let's pick up the question that we began to ask last week. Here it is. What does it mean to be lost? What does it mean to be lost? In 1997, a Chinese man named Guo Gong Tong had a two-year-old son who was kidnapped by child traffickers right in front of his home. They couldn't find him. It was awful, terrible. Of course, the family was devastated. So do you know what Guo the father began to do? He began to dedicate his life to finding his lost son. The first thing he did was to take his son's picture, and he blew it up on these big banners, and he put the banners on these flagpoles, and he attached the flagpoles to the back of his motorcycle, and off he went across China. He crisscrossed the nation. He put more than 300,000 miles on 10 different motorcycles across 20 provinces. Along the way, he suffered a number of accidents. He broke a number of bones. He was robbed. He beat off robbers. And along the way, he also started to help other families to find their missing children. He, he found seven missing children and reunited them with their families. But all of this took an enormous toll on him. He, he tore his own life apart to do this. He spent his life savings trying to find his son. He went destitute and broke and ended up sleeping under bridges, begging for money, for food to eat, and to be able to continue his search. And he did this for nearly 25 years. And after 25 years, finally, After risk and pain, Guo's search came to an end when he finally found his son two years ago in 2021. Here's a picture of the moment they were reunited. He wept and he cried and he threw himself on his son's neck. And this is what he said. The father said this, everything can only be happy from now on. What was dead is now alive. What was lost is now found. Yeah, now that's a true story. And that is a picture of the God of the Bible's Father's heart for you and for me and for everyone. 
but. I want you to imagine something with me for a moment. Imagine if that father had another son, hmm? not just one son, but two. Imagine if Guo Gong Tong had an older son at home. What do you think that older son might have felt the day his younger son, his younger brother, was reunited with the family? Hmm? Do you think he would have felt gladness, joy, relief? I hope so, perhaps. But what if, what if he didn't? Hmm? What if he didn't? What if he didn't feel any of that when his father came back, when his brother came back? What if he instead had grown resentful that the father's life savings had been put into finding the younger brother while he, the older son, the dutiful son, the faithful son had been taken for granted? He would, growing up, he stayed at home to take care of mom while dad was out breaking bones and begging for money to not spend time with him. What if the older son had come to be angry and ashamed at how the family's status had been diminished? because of the father's search. And what if it was you? What if you had stayed and served? Well, dad was out spending your inheritance on someone who, let's face it, after 20 years was never gonna come back. What if that were you? Now, maybe, maybe we can imagine what it must have been like, what it might have felt like to be the older son, the dutiful son, the faithful son in Jesus's parable because in his story here, Luke chapter 15, the younger son, as we saw last week, got lost, but not because he was taken or kidnapped. In a way, it was kind of worse. He chose to leave. He demanded his share of the family inheritance while father was still alive, and to the older son's shock, the father did it. So father divided up his property. Again, in Greek, it's the word bios, where we get biology or life. See, father tore his life apart to satisfy the demands of the younger son who left his conservative red state home, traveled to a wild blue state, legalized prostitution, drug use. He went broke partying and took a minimum wage job feeding the pigs and he nearly starved to death. Then he came to his senses. He remembered home. He remembered what it was like to be loved by his father. He arose and he begins to go back with this whole apology he's got tucked in his back pocket and he's rehearsed it. But before he could even get out the words, the father saw him at a distance, hiked up his robe, bared his legs and ran to embrace him. And now in this scene, at this moment, as the father runs, I think we get our very first glimpse of the simmering undercurrent of animosity between older and younger sons. Why did the father run? Dr. Kenneth Bailey, he's a professor of Middle Eastern New Testament studies. He wrote a book about it called The Cross and the Prodigal. And he explains why the father ran. First century Jewish culture had a little ritual known as the kazaza, which was performed after a Jewish person had left the community, lived among the Gentiles, then came back. And then instead of welcoming him or her home, they would take a large ceramic pot, shatter it on the ground in front of the homecoming person and yell at them, you are now cut off from your people. Dr. Bailey says the father in Jesus' story likely ran to meet the son, therefore, before he could get to the village, to save him from the village before the village curse could be put on him by the village or either maybe by the younger brother's own flesh and blood, someone in his own home. See, the father wasn't just running to hold him. He was running to save him. 
But the father, oh yes, now he's got his son back. He calls for a celebration. BBC, CNN, ABC, camera crews are there running tape and he throws a party to celebrate the return. But verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. What was the older son doing all this time? Well, we're shown he wasn't drinking in the club, partying at the bar. He wasn't even just relaxing at the game. No, he's out working in the field for his father. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Oh, what's that? A party? Like for who? As far as he knew, they're not expecting anybody. It wasn't a holiday or a festival. Verse 26. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Oh no, not only is there a party, here the, the older son were shown is the last one to know about it. He's the last one to know about the party happening in his own home. And as he draws near the house, instead of going to the father to ask about it, he calls aside to one of the servants who spills the tea. Verse 27. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And I, I, think, I think the servant's words reveal he's got an inkling of the gap, the disconnect between the son and the rest of the family. Because look at the language that he uses here. He's almost pleading ahead of time for the older son not to be angry. He uses words like, your brother your father. He said, hey, no matter what's happened or how you feel, remember, it's still your family. But then the servant makes a miscalculation because he doesn't just describe the party. He doesn't just mention the fattened calf. No, he keeps talking and he starts to describe the younger son as being back safe and sound. This is a phrase in the Greek. It means literally without blemish or error. In other words, the servant's saying, your brother is back just as if he had done nothing wrong. Your dad took him back like he had done nothing at all. Oh, and how does the older brother react? Verse 28, he became angry and refused to go in. Why? He's not just upset at the food being served. No, he's angry at the grace being given. And now by refusing to go in, by not going into the party his father has thrown to honor all of that, he has become guilty of shaming the father and family just like his younger son. What does the father do? It says, so the father went out and pleaded with him. How does the son respond? We read it, verse 29. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property, your life with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now, let's pause at this point and ask our question again. What does it mean to be lost from God? lost from God. Younger son, lostness is obvious. We looked at it in depth last week. It means living a life apart from God. It means pursuing just the self. And in many ways, we, we all feel this. I think we're living right in the middle of a culture that's fully embraced. Younger son, lostness. Have you ever heard of so many terms today that begin with the word self? <laughs> Self-love, self-care. We take selfies with stealthy sticks because we make sticks for our selfies to take pictures of ourselves. And yes, all of them, they can have healthy centers. But many times, they don't. 
Carrie and I were watching this interview recently from the 1970s, I think it was, with the, uh, the great African-American poet and writer, Maya Angelou. And at one point in the interview, the interviewer asked her what her main hope in life was. And she said this, my great hope is to bring all of me into every situation. I want to be fully present at every moment that I can. I want to bring my full self into the conversation. And the interviewer said, hey, so that sounds a little greedy to me. Like, are you wanting to take as much from everyone as you possibly can? My angel said, no, no, no. My goal isn't to be present with my full self to be greedy. My goal is to be fully present so that I can give. So I can give all away to whomever I'm with. And when I heard that, I was shocked. <laughs> she said, I want to live to give, not live to YOLO. Now, that doesn't sound like our modern moment, does it? It doesn't sound like us at all. But see, the point is younger son lostness, it's obvious. It functions to get the father's stuff without the father. But that's easy to see. What's sometimes harder to see? And what Jesus here is about to show us is just as bad or even worse is not younger son lostness, but older son, older daughter lostness. Let's ask this. What does that look like? How does older child lostness function and work in our lives? Let's look at, here are six descriptors found in the older son's speech. First, notice older brothers, number one, have no sense of intimacy with God. He says, look, is that the way you talk to a dad that you love? Number two, older brothers, obey the father, not out of delight, but out of duty. He says, all these years I've been slaving for you. And he's got emotional files. He's just racked up, saved away of how much he's done. Number three, older brothers are blind to their own motives and their own destructive behavior. He said, I have never disobeyed your orders. Like, really? Like, he's never done a single thing wrong. Not even he was two. And he didn't want to, he wanted to touch the hot stove, right? See, in his eyes, his moral performance is flawless. Number four, older brothers have an envisioned future apart from the father. He said he didn't even give me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Yeah, the father's not invited to this special party. He's throwing for himself. He's saying, what I really wanted was to be with anyone but you. Number five, older brothers, they other others. He said, but when this son of yours, the older brothers say, I, I, I'm not related to them. It's part of the human family. They, that group, those people are all bad. We are all good. Today, American older brothers can say, listen, it's the dirty liberals ruining the nation. They're not sleeping around, pushing their agenda on everybody. But we, the good people, have never done a single thing wrong in our history. Is that true? Mm. Number six, older brothers cannot grasp the grace of God. He said he squandered your property with prostitutes, and he comes home and you do this for him? What kind of a father celebrates the very ones who have helped to ruin the family? Tony Campolo is a pastor and a speaker, and uh, I heard him years ago at a conference, and he told a story I've never forgotten. Here it is. He told the story of a time when he was being a conference speaker out speaking in Hawaii, and due to the time difference, he ended up hanging out, being wide awake and hungry at 3 a.m., and all he can find open at 3 a.m. in Hawaii, apparently, is a seedy diner, as he calls it. And while he's there, he can't help but overhear a conversation between two women. It turns out these two women 
are prostitutes. And one of them's name is Agnes. He overhears Agnes say that the next day is her birthday. The other two, uh, the prostitute asks her, well, are you going to have a party or anything? And Agnes looks sad and she replied, I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. And the two ladies walk out and Tony Campola turns to the diner, another seedy looking guy named Harry. And he says, do you know these women? And Harry says, sure, I know all the women who are in here every night, the, the people who come in here late. And so Tony says to him, all right, let's throw Agnes a birthday party. Harry says, if you want. Tony says, great, I'll go get the decorations. I'll go get the cake. Do you know her friends? Harry says, sure, I know all her friends. I'll invite them. Tony says, great, go do it. So the next night at 2.30 a.m., they begin to decorate the diner. They get a cake. And about 3.15, when she gets off from her work, all of Agnes's friends begin to come in, and Tony begins to realize all of her friends are prostitutes like her. So here he is, this Christian speaker, in a diner full of prostitutes at 3 in the morning and at 3.30 a.m., Agnes walks in. Everybody shouts, happy birthday. And Tony's account of what happened next goes like this. He said, she was utterly, utterly stunned. She couldn't even stand up. She sat down and started crying. She looked at the cake and she was crying too much even to blow the candles out. So Harry blew the candles out and handed her a knife. Then she looked at the knife and she said, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Do we really have to cut the cake? Do we have to eat it right now? Look, I'll be right back. I live right down the street. I want to keep the cake. Would that be okay? I don't want to eat it. Can I just take it home and, 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 and keep it? I don't want to eat it right now. I'll be right back. And so Agnes walks, runs out of the diner with the cake and, and, and they all get up and they don't know what to do next with all the decorations up in a diner full of prostitutes. And there was an awkward pause. And Tony said he spoke up and say, what do you say we pray for Agnes? He said, so I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation, that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. He said, and when I finished, Harry leaned over to me and said, you never told me you were a preacher. <laughs> what kind of church do you belong to? Tony said, I said, I belong to the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. And Harry thought about it for a second some hostility in his face. He kind of started getting mad. He said, no, you don't. There is no church like that. If there were, I would join it. I would join a church like that. That's beautiful. It's beautiful, and it's an amazing story, true story. But let me ask you, would you? Would you really join a church like that? Hmm? Would you join a church full of those people? Hmm? Full of, say, the same Black Lives Matter protesters who maybe burned down your business? What if it were full of the same homosexuals, lesbians, you felt it caused your child to turn away from what you taught them? What if it were full of Christian people who shamed and bullied you for your appearance, hmm? how you felt about yourself? What if it were full of the same people trying to erase your people's history from textbooks again like they've always done? Hmm? What if it were full of the same ones who took your child out of your home in China, made you search for 25 years. How far could your heart stretch? Hmm? Hmm? Would you throw a party for them? Now, this week I thought about the 145th mass shooting in the U.S. this year, the one in Nashville. Shooter into a Christian school with an assault rifle and tracked down and killed the daughter of the pastor 
of the church and the school. What if that were my child? Could I really throw a party to welcome that kind of person home? I don't know. I'd like to say yes. Could I? Could you? Could we? Listen, this has nothing to do with, uh, again, this isn't a do away, rather, with words like justice, restitution, repentance, all of which Jesus talks about. We'll be looking at it in this series. But this story is about what it means to be lost from God. It isn't just to sleep around, squander your life, and get high. I mean, those are marks of a life lost from God, but it's also the heart that grows resentful and having to celebrate the return of them. It's a heart that says it serves God, but then grows angry when the party isn't about them, when church isn't for them, when the celebration isn't for them. It's like the heart that says, what about me? What about my needs? What about my situation? All these years I've been coming to this church, Morgan, you've never done something like that for me. Now, is that hard to hear? Yeah. It's hard for my heart to hear. And I know it was even hard for the people hearing this story to hear. And here's how you can know that. At the very beginning of the chapter, we're told this, Luke 15, 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them like this man throws parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. And when Jesus heard the muttering, do you know what he was doing when he told him that parable? When he told them this parable, he was telling the Jewish people that day their oldest and their best story. After all, what is the parable of these two sons other than the retelling of all the other sons, all the other siblings in the Jewish scriptures and stories, stories of Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, Leah and Rachel, Perez and Zerah, Joseph and Reuben, Ephraim and Manasseh, the younger King David and his older brother Eliab. It was always, always the younger brother or sister or child who received the unmerited, undeserved grace of God. And it was always the older sibling who found their heart provoked offended, prodded, see Jesus, to remind them of who God the Father has always been, a Father who saves by grace the very children who do not deserve it. He tells them their oldest story to wake them up from what they've become. And as they listened that day, the ones who thought they were the favored, the younger son, the ones who in a way really were like the younger sons prior because their nation, come on, was named after a younger son, Israel. They were the Israelites, the ones who thought they were in, suddenly realized, Jesus says, you're not. Some of you, he's saying, you're a lot less like Abel. You're more like Cain. You're not like Jacob. You're more like the vengeful Esau. You're not a Joseph. You're more like the cowardly Reuben who won't protect the younger brother. You're like the insecure Rachel. You're like the Eliab who accuses younger David of ruining everything. See, Jesus is reminding them, older sons have always needed younger sons to save them in a way. And if that was bad, and if that shocked them, imagine what they felt like when the story ended. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And this story ends not with father and son reconciling, but with son standing outside on the porch, father pleading for him to come back inside. Story over, mic drop, Jesus out, crowd bewildered. 
What does this text demand of us? It demands that all younger and older sons do what only the younger son does in this story. It demands that we all repent. Lost younger sons need to repent for running away from God. Lost older sons need to repent of something else besides sin. We may even need to repent, if this is us, for the reasons we did what we thought was right. How can all of our hearts be brought to that place, the place of repentance? It's by seeing the final words of the Father in the parable when he says this, everything I have is yours. Because when he says this, it's not just a figure of speech. It's literally true. Remember what he had done? He had already divided up all he had had. The older son would have had twice, double the share of the inheritance. The father had already divided his life. He had already torn himself in two to keep all his children close. He stood on the porch pleading with his older son to remember, look at what I've already done for you. You say, well, where is God the father done something like that for me? Come on, you know. It's on the cross, right? God, through Jesus, divided himself. He was torn in two. He was pierced. He was beaten. Not just his legs were exposed, but his whole body was. The shaming of Jesus Christ on the cross was the Father's way of getting there first in our lives. So the village curse of sin couldn't have us. And not just a pot was shattered, but Jesus' body was shattered. He was cut off from his people so that we would not have to hear, you're cut off for all the things you've done, but that we could hear, welcome home. You are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. So we could hear, oh, everything can only be happy from now on. The gospel is that God our Father, through Jesus, tore his life apart, looking for you and looking for me. And he pleads today through his act, not of self-centeredness, not of self-love, but of self-giving and self-sacrifice for you to come inside so you can drop your older brother lostness, to leave behind perhaps your younger brother lostness so you could experience his kiss. You could come in his feast you could experience his joy. You could celebrate with music and dancing. You could labor, yeah, even work from delight, not duty. So you could receive his embrace just like Guo Gong Tong's son did at the moment they were reunited. Yeah. And do you know a movie was actually made in China about Guo and his real life search? It came out in 2015, six years before he found his son. It was called Lost and love, lost in love. People asked him if they could make a movie about his search, and he said yes. You know why? Here's what he said. He said he wanted to tell the story of his lost son in hopes that his son would hear it, realize it was about him, and somehow come back home. This is the God we serve. He tells us this story about ourselves, so we'll hear it, perhaps realize it's about us, and perhaps even come home. And I want to tell you, church, today can be your day. Would you pray with me? Father, we come in Jesus' name. Lord, I'm thanking you for the power of your word, the power of your teaching, the power most of all of your life and love and sacrifice. Lord, would you give us grace now to break through 
to find our way home to you. We thank you for all of this today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.